Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Sometimes the Lord gives the enemy access into our lives, but we shouldn't be afraid of that. Why? Because God knows how to handle his business. And if you're his kid, you really have nothing to worry about because he knows how to correct you, but he also knows how to correct those who are messing with you. And so it's like, all right, Lord, help me. If I can go back to the beginning, help me to learn from my mistakes, learn from the mistakes of other people. And I'm going to make my fair share of mistakes from here on out. I know that. However, I don't have to make all of them. We all know that a good father disciplines his kids when they misbehave because he loves them and he wants what's best for them. As Pastor James teaches us in today's message, our perfect father in heaven also disciplines his children because we all make mistakes and we need correcting. If God is disciplining you right now, then take heart in knowing that God is a good father who knows what's best for his kids. He's going to use whatever hardship you're going through for your own benefit. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Zechariah chapter 1 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. He goes on to say in verse 5, Where are your ancestors now? They and the prophets are long dead. But everything I said through my servants, the prophets, happened to your ancestors, just as I said. As a result, they repented and said, we have received what we deserve from the Lord of heaven's army. He has done what he said he would do. And that's always a good place to be is like, yep, you're right, Lord. Everything you said happened. And we repent. We turn away from that. Let's march into some new chapters in our lives. And for them, it's new chapters concerning Israel as a nation. What's fascinating about like when Babylon was taken over, a lot of religious people were set free to go and rebuild their temples because what the then ruler at that time, what he wanted to make sure was like, go back to your home countries, rebuild your temples, and hopefully your God will be satisfied with me. That was part of Israel being released back to their own homeland was because he wanted to be in good with God. He's like, look, I don't want to be the bad guy who got you here. I want to be seen as the good guy from your God as the one who let you go. And I'll even help you with some material along the way. Like he just wanted to like, maybe your God will remember me. It's kind of was his motivation, which is just fascinating. We even have historical documentation of that. But this is where we find ourselves with Zechariah, who's a prophet. And the first word he's given, this young man, the first word he's given to this remnant who has gone through a lot, seeing a lot of their ancestors come and go, growing up in captivity, his first message to them is very similar to the message that John the Baptist had and even Jesus had. Repent. Repent. Where do we start? Repentance. Let's start there. I don't need to repent. You probably need to repent from saying that. Like, that's an absurd thought. Like, I don't have nothing to repent of. Well, dig deeper. Um, I'm sure it's there. But the first message from this young prophet to this nation that is like surrounded by ruin is repent. All that they are seeing, what they were witnessing was the physical destruction of a temple that stood mighty and proud. And that served as a reminder for them of like, our ancestors blew it. We're surrounded by debris. Our ancestors, this is their own Ebenezer stone was the destruction of their temple. Like our forefathers blew it. So now what are you going to do about it? 
Well, where do we start? We start with repentance. That's where we start. Repentance. And so he throws out this message to these guys. And then three months later, or a few months later down the road, he starts getting visions. Zachariah starts getting visions. And this is like crazy stuff. We're not going to go through all of them, but I think there's a total of eight visions that he has. And it's fascinating. So three months later, as verse seven says in the New Living Translation, somewhere around February 15th, if you want to get specific, this is all based off the Jewish calendar, by the way. That's why they say February 15th. When I first saw this, it was like the 11th month, the 24th day on the 11th month is probably what yours says. And so in my head, I was like, that's Thanksgiving. Right? Like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. You know, of course, not for them. But on the Hebrew calendar, it may have been more so around February 15th. It says, the Lord sent another message to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the grandson of Edo. In a vision during the night, I saw a man sitting on a red horse that was standing among some myrtle trees in a small valley. Behind him were riders on red, brown, and white horses. I asked the angel who was talking with me, my Lord, what do these horses mean? The angel replies, I'll show you. I barely remember any dreams that I have. I know because everybody dreams, but I don't remember any of my dreams. But this is like on a line of like a dream and a nightmare, you know, in one sense, like it's pitch black, it's nighttime. And he sees what he sees is a guy on a red horse, like a red rider on a horse, like that would probably creep me out a little bit. Okay. (laughs) Like, who's that guy? Why is he all red? A man sitting on a red horse, and then amongst the myrtle trees, which the myrtle trees are um, fascinating trees there in Israel. The roots kind of grow down deep. They're very uh, hardy kind of shrubs, basically. But he sees the red horse, the guy on the red horse, and then he looks out and he's like, he's got a posse with him. So you look and there's, there's a brown horse, then there's white horses, another red horse, and, and these four horsemen essentially represent, as we'll see in a second, but there are four groups that God used to bring about the destruction of Israel. This kind of plays into Daniel. You can go through the book of Daniel and you see some of the visions he had, but you have these four horsemen and they're amongst the myrtle trees. Zechariah's like, what's going on here? What does this mean? Because evidently this isn't like a warm and welcoming scene, right? He's not like, oh, cool, horses. No, these are like, those look like bad guys because they are bad guys because they are. The riders standing among the myrtle trees, verse 10, then explained, they're the ones, the ones the Lord has sent out to patrol the earth. Then the other riders reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees, we have been patrolling the earth and the whole earth is at peace. And essentially what was going on at this moment in time, historically, there was peace that was happening. Okay. Because a lot of the wars and destruction had kind of pushed pause because Babylon was overthrown. And so in this season, there was a little bit of peace and calm, not globally, probably, but within Israel, there was peace. Upon hearing this, the angel of the Lord prayed this prayer. O Lord of heaven's armies, for 70 years now, you've been angry with Jerusalem and the towns of Judah. How long until you show mercy to them? The Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So you're like, here's this angel, like, who speaks to the Lord of Heaven's army. He's like, it's been 70 years. And we know the captivity is going to last 70 years. How long until you show mercy to them? And then the Lord spoke to him kind and comforting words. And you're like, okay, what's that message? He speaks kind and comforting words. Well, we get an example of this, and it's actually going to be the key verse for the whole book. Verse 14, the angel said to me, shout this message for all to hear. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. So this angel cries out to the Lord of heaven's armies and is like, 
how long until you show them mercy? And then the angel of, of heaven's army replies back to him. And he's like, here's this kind and compassionate thing that I need you to repeat to all the people. My love for Jerusalem and Mount Zion is passionate and strong. I care about you. I care about you. I care about the mess you're in currently. I care about what's going on in your life right now. I care from heaven. I care a lot about you. And the message that was delivered to Israel, because yes, historically and in the context, this was directly applied to those guys, but it's one of those truths that could probably be applied to your life as well. 2,000 plus years later, what would the Lord Jesus be wanting to share with you? I love you and I care about you. I love you and I care about you. What word of kindness do you have for us, Lord? And he's like, I love you. I care about you. But do you see the rubble around my life? Do you see the wreckage? God's like, I didn't cause that. I didn't cause that. I allowed that to happen. But I didn't cause that. But I tell you this, in the midst of that rubble, there's a lot of lessons to learn. And above all that stuff, I love you and I care about you. Let's rebuild from the rubble. This is like the Lord's message to his people. I like how he goes on. Verse 15. But I'm very angry with the other nations that are now enjoying peace and security. I was only a little angry with my people. 70 years seems like a lot angry, but it was only a little angry to God. So you're like, all right, I don't know the scale you're judging on, but I trust yours better than mine. That's for sure. But the nations inflicted harm on them far beyond my intentions, far beyond my intentions. Like, man, that's crazy because he gave them these foreign nations some freedom to inflict torment onto the nation of Israel. Like he allowed that to happen. And part of that was his plan, his discipline for Israel But man, what happens with individuals, and sometimes we don't think about this stuff, is like, sometimes they like to go too far, right? I mean, that's what the Lord's like. I said, go and get my people, capture my people. And then they did that, then plus some other stuff. And God's like, well, I didn't like that. So uh, you're going to pay for that. You're going to pay for that. And that's something that should be a comfort for us as well. Because man, sometimes the enemy will, he's trying to wreck your life and he's trying to get in and he's going to try to go above and beyond what God allows him to do within your life. And the Lord's keeping count. He's keeping count. And where he's like, no, don't worry. There'll be a price for them to pay concerning going overboard, right? Verse 16 says, therefore, concerning all this anger that God has towards these other nations, this is what the Lord says. I have returned to show mercy to Jerusalem. My temple will be rebuilt, says the Lord of heaven's armies, and measurements will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Say this also, this is what the Lord of heaven's army says, the towns of Israel will again overflow with prosperity and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem as his own. Like this is his dream. Like this is a vision he's having. And he's like, there's horsemen, there's all these myrtle trees everywhere and this angel and then God's speaking and saying like, I love you. I care so much about you. Oh, don't worry about those other guys. I'm going to get them. But as far as you're concerned, Israel, I don't need you to go get them because I have other plans for you. Your plan is to rebuild the temple. Your plan is to rebuild Jerusalem. Why? Because I want to pour out my blessing on it. Because I want to pour out my blessing on it. And essentially, that's what he's saying. And this isn't any kind of like prosperity thing. This is like God honoring the work that we put into this thing. When we show up and we give, and it doesn't matter. I don't even talk about money. I'm talking about like time, energy, effort, not necessarily so much to the church. That's a part of it, but to the Lord. 
and even in the small things. In chapter four, Zechariah is going to mention that of like being faithful with the small things. God, man, he honors that. And I think we get into this performance mindset of like, I better do good so that it will make God happy. And God's like, I wish you would just do good so I can pour my blessing out on you. He's like, I need the temple rebuilt. I need the city rebuilt. Why? So that it can team with life again. So you can take it from ash and rubble and destruction and bring new life into it. But God's like, this will happen. This will happen. The temple will be rebuilt. Measurement will be taken for the reconstruction of Jerusalem. Why? Why, God? Why all the work? Why all the energy? Why all the effort put into rebuilding what other people have messed up? So it can overflow with prosperity. So it can overflow with prosperity. This is something that I think is applicable within our own lives. I don't know what the journey has been for you in your family history and all that stuff. And you may be currently standing in the midst of like just a sea of rubble and just destruction. And you're like, well, what's the point, man? Like, what's the point? And if I put energy into this thing, it doesn't feel like I'm making any progress and it can all just fall apart anyways. And the point is, is like, Just exactly what he's saying to Israel through his prophet Zechariah is like, you build for those who are coming after you. You build for those who are showing up on the scene. You may not see the difference. You may never see the difference, but it doesn't matter because we're putting brick upon brick because we're building for the next generation and because we want to give the Lord the opportunity like, man, Lord, you want to rebuild? We want to be rebuilders. We want to be part of your construction crew. Why? Because we want to see this place overflow with prosperity. That's why. We may never even see it. But it doesn't matter because the ones who come after us will. Zechariah may not, he would see some of it because in four years they would complete the temple and they would still be working on the city, but they put in the effort because they knew God has a plan. He has a plan. And so God, you need me to clean off bricks so that we can reuse them? Then I'm your man. I can do that. You want me to work on this wall over here? I'll work on this wall over here because it doesn't seem to matter today, but it will matter tomorrow. And when the enemy starts showing up, then man, good luck getting through that wall because I put everything I had into that wall, right? So it's like we're building because the Lord has a plan. I'm building within my family and changing culture and family history within my family because God has a plan for my family. I've stood amongst the wreckage of my own family in one sense. And it's like, okay, so then what are you going to do about it? We're going to build. We're going to build. Why? Because God's a God of recreation, man. He's a God of awe and wonder. And he's like, I'm a God of prosperity. Not like the knuckleheads you see on TV sometimes, but he is a God who wants to honor and pour out blessings upon his people. We're going to see that in Malachi when we get there. So we don't shy away from this. It's like, God, I'm going to do everything I can for the sake of your kingdom and whatever prosperity means, I'll take it. I'll take it. Because if it's being poured out by God, I'll take it. Because only good things come from God, as James tells us, right? James 1.17, that was my wedding verse. Good things come from him in whom there is no shifting or variation of shadow. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father in whom there is no variation or shifting of shadow. Like, yes, I'll take whatever you got. But I'll show up. I'll stack bricks. I'll do whatever you want, God. Like, 
This is, and this is the motivation that Zechariah is trying to give to the people who probably at this point in time were a little discouraged because they're like, man, we've been working away. And these, if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, specifically Nehemiah, and you see some of the encounters they had with their neighbors who are like just hurling insults at them and like, what are you doing? What's even the point of this? And all that nonsense. It gets discouraging. And then here's a prophet from God saying like, no, we're going to build because God's got a plan and he will see this through. And then, you know, one of the most famous verses, especially for Calvary chapels, we'll see it in Zechariah 4, 4, 6, where he says, it's not by force, not by might, nor by power, but what? By my spirit, says the Lord, right? And he's like, we're going to get this done. We will get this done. So it's kind of cool to see how this works and the application you can take away from that. I mean, I think it can be something that's applied to your life personally. I think it can be something that's applied to your life in whatever setting you find yourself working within. But I think it also applies to the church today where it's like, man, sometimes we step into this place and it's like, it feels like a bomb went off. Like it feels like there's like bodies everywhere. It's like rubble and it's like, no, no, no. God's got a plan. He's got a plan. And we are faithfully committed to him and to his word because I trust God's plan over my own plan. And then this last little part of the vision, you got four horsemen, then you got four other things as well, right? It says, then I looked up and saw four animal horns. What are these? I asked the angel who was talking with me, which is exactly the question I would ask too. Like, what's that? Like four horns. What is that? Symbolic of power is what it is. The horn has always been a symbol of power. He replied, the horns represent the nations that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem, ones that were used by God to scatter them abroad. Then the Lord showed me four blacksmiths. What are these men coming to do? I asked. The angel replied, these four horns, these nations scattered and humbled Judah. Now these blacksmiths have come to terrify those nations and throw them down and to destroy them, right? So we remember that God said, oh, I'm not happy with these other nations. And so I'm going to take care of them. Well, how's he going to take care of them? Well, he's got four blacksmiths that he is going to use to handle these four horns that were used by God to scatter Israel. And you can look back through history and you can see like some of that and how that played out. Ultimately, I think that our takeaway from this is, yeah, so God knows how to handle his business. And I'm his kid. I'm his kid. And so it's like, yeah, um, sometimes he's got to like, James, you know, you need a whooping. You need a whooping. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. Um, if I've learned anything in 20 years of walking with him, it's just to agree with him on everything and be like, yeah, you're right. You, I know I need a whooping. Um, he's like, but don't worry. I, I'm doing this because I love you. Oh, and if the enemy is messing with you, I may allow him to mess with you a little bit because if you don't know how that works, just read the book of Job, which is like one of the least studied books because nobody wants to go through what Job went through, right? So we ignore that book completely, basically. Like, no, please don't ever teach through Job. We will get there one day. I don't personally want to teach through it because I'm like, I find myself having to live most of these things before I ever get here. And I'm like, I can't even imagine. Like, But sometimes the Lord gives the enemy access into our lives. But we shouldn't be afraid of that. Why? Because God knows how to handle his business. And if you're his kid, you really have nothing to worry about because he knows how to correct you, but he also knows how to correct those who are messing with you. And so it's like, all right, Lord, help me. If I can go back to the beginning, help me to learn 
from my mistakes, learn from the mistakes of other people. And I'm going to make my fair share of mistakes from here on out. I know that. However, I don't have to make all of them because I can learn, right? God's given us a beautiful thing called our brain, but I can learn and I can repent. I can turn to God. And then even in the midst of walking with him and following him, trials, tribulations are going to come into my life. They're going to come into your life. But the Lord has it all under control. The same thing that he had for the nation of Israel, I believe, I don't think I'm wrong in applying this this way, I think that he does have a plan for you as well. And I know some people don't like to, you know, Jeremiah 29, 11, I think if that's a reference, like, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for prosper you and not plans to, I can't remember the rest of it. You know it, it's on every coffee mug in Mardell's, I'm sure. But um, it's like, some people are like, no, that only applies to Israel. And I'm like, I know historically and context-wise, yes, but I think that kind of applies to us too. Why? Because I'm his son, I'm his kid, and I'm sure that any good Heavenly Father would have plans for his kid's future. And even with Zechariah, it's like, I can find comfort in some of these verses because I know like, well, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever knows how to like speak a word that is like reverberates all throughout time and history. Sound waves never go away. You know that, right? Like sound waves never diminish. That's in, I'm not a scientist. Okay. So don't, you know, if this is wrong, then uh, you need to go talk to somebody else because I heard it from them. But anyways, and if they do, maybe they, I don't know, but they've, they've tracked this stuff to where it's like the sound wave. It's almost like everything we say, like never goes away, which kind of goes along with what the Bible says when he's like, I record every word you say. So it lasts forever and ever. I think when the Lord speaks a word and he has spoken his word, it's something that we can take into consideration of like, this still applies today. The sound waves that were coming from Zechariah still are working their way throughout the course of history, even to this day. And what God said to his nation back then, I believe he means also for his kids today. We might not be standing in the midst of a destroyed temple But like I've been alluding to, we might be standing in the midst of a different kind of destruction. But God's got a plan. And do I trust his plan? And am I willing to show up every day? Because these guys had to show up every single day and stare at that heap of rubble until the heap of rubble began to diminish and diminish and diminish to where it was gone. And then you have a foundation. And then you start building on the foundation and building and building, and building. And then four years later, you can stand back and look at it and be like, look what God did. It was a mess when we showed up. A few years, however many years down the road, my prayer for you and for myself is whatever mess you might be standing in today, somewhere down the road, you can take a step back and you'd be like, look what God did. Man, I was in the mess. I was in the rubble. And I have that testimony to a certain extent where I get to share that with my kids to where it's like, You want to see beauty from ashes? Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about my upbringing. Let me tell you about decisions that I made and all that stuff. Let me tell you about the destruction that I got myself into. And then now look at the flip side of that. Like, look at the beauty that God has made from it. And so there's hope for all of us. Hope still remains for every single person that calls upon the name of the Lord. Our hope is anchored in Jesus, and he can turn beauty from ashes And whatever mess you find yourself in today, he knows how to clear the rubble, wipe the slate clean, so we can start building that foundation. 
He's so good. He's that good. Compassionate and loving are just a few descriptions of God. Did you know that in the Minor Prophets, he's also described as just? Israel and Judah thumbed their noses at God by making him unimportant in their lives. They gave in to their own desires, did what they wanted, and despaired in tough situations. All of this caused them to forget God as their protector and provider. Why is it so easy to do those things that, in the long run, aren't good for us? More than I care to admit, I see myself doing those same things, over and over. God was patient with them, and He's patient with me. But there comes a point when a reality check is needed. Jesus draws the line between white and black, wrong and right, judging actions and motives. Thankfully, He doesn't leave us in that rotten state. He offers us forgiveness and hope. You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through a series called Major Messages from the Minor Prophets. Each message professed by the prophets reveals his abundant patience, his faithfulness, and also his justice. If you missed one or more of these teachings, I encourage you to go back and listen to them again at breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the Listen tab. We'd love for you to come join us each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Our prayer is that you're encouraged and rest in the confidence that Jesus will right every wrong. Be sure to tune in next time as Pastor James continues here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.